Welcome, everybody. Thank you for coming out late on a Friday afternoon. I appreciate it. My name is Paul Boursier. I am chief curator with the Wisconsin Historical Society. Uh, I am co-editor of Nomenclature 3.0 and currently serve as chairperson for the Nomenclature Committee. Uh, with me today are two stellar colleagues. I'd like to introduce to you Sarah Kapelish, who is registrar at the Wisconsin Veterans Museum. Sarah is a current member of the Nomenclature Committee and joined us after the book was published. And we also have Trevor Jones, who's director of collections and exhibitions at the Kentucky Historical Society. Trevor is a former member, I should say member emeritus, of the Nomenclature Committee and helped us put the book together. Uh, we're here to talk li liars, tires, and barns, oh my, using nomenclature 3.0 for museum cataloging. Today we're going to cover a few basic things. Uh, Trevor will address the question, just what is nomenclature 3.0 and why should my museum use it? Sarah will follow up with how is nomenclature 3.0 used? Uh, I will then follow up with the questions, how can my museum adopt it, and what's in store for the future? And we want to leave some time at the end for questions. Uh, we are being recorded, so when it comes time for questions, we'll repeat your questions and, and then provide what answers we can. Um, I will hand it over to Trevor at this point. All right, so um, I know how much detail I need to go into. How many of you are currently using Nomenclature 3.0? All right, so about half. How many of you are using Nomenclature 2.0? Okay, a few. How many of you are not using Nomenclature whatsoever in any form? Okay, good to know. All right, so I'm going to give you sort of the, the overview of what it is and why I think you should use it or why we think you should use it. Um, so... Basically, this is an organizing system, and it's got four points. So it's an agreed-upon way of naming artifacts of objects. Um, it's a structured um, system, and it's got hierarchies so that you can see um, different levels of detail. And then um, it's a data standard. So basically, the point of nomenclature is so that you can um, share information and have a standard set of terminology so we can all talk to each other. Um, we've been talking a lot earlier today. We talked a lot about the future of uh, museums and museum collaboration. Nomenclature helps facilitate that in, in, a, in a one small portion of that. So um, this is the system. So what is 3.0? This one? Okay, thank you. Okay, so this is... Um, we we worked on what to call this for a long time. This is the, the third version of um, nomenclature. The first one, if most people recognize these by color, um, people that were using them back in the day, the first edition is the red book from 1978, the blue book from 1988, and now the green book from 2010. Um, so this nomenclature both names objects and it classifies them by function. So those are the, the two things, the name and the classification by function two points. So nomenclature uh, focuses on man-made objects. Okay, so it doesn't do, like, there's parts that we could talk about for natural history, but it focuses on man-made. It is, um, does it by use, so what was the tool or what was the object used for? Um, it, its origins are in historical collections, and its origins are also general collections as well. So if you're looking for nomenclature to do a set of like highly detailed surgical instruments as a cataloging tool, that's, it can do that. We could talk about some expansions that are possible, but it's really designed for a general historical, broad historical collection like most small institutions have in the United States. It's trying to be as widely usable as possible, not a real specialized system. So nomenclature looks at two things when you're looking at it. Is what is it? And that's the, sort of the object name. What is the term we're going to use? And then how and why it was used. What classification does it fit into? So those are the two things. So that's the way nomenclature does it. But it's important to notice that there are plenty of other people that think about things differently. Um, we, we think about what is it, how, why it was used. We're historians. That's, that's our focus. That's not the only way it's done. Um, you might have used or been exposed to any number of other 
um, classification systems. Um, a big one used by a lot of people is the Art and Architecture Thesaurus by Getty. Uh, Library of Congress subject headings, another common one from your library. Different ways of organizing information with a consistent format. So nomenclature is just one option available to you. It's not the only one. Okay, so what we do, and this is uh, this has not really changed, is it divides things into ten um, categories, and it gets you. Um, hopefully, everything fits into these into nine of these categories. But there is always category ten unclassifiable, so you've always got that option. You don't know what the heck this thing is. Category ten is where it can go. So we're trying to organize the universe, but we realize the universe doesn't always fit our organizational pattern. Um, so we believe very strongly that everybody should be using um, nomenclature 3.0 uh, in history museums of any size, any type, um, any kind. And the reasons for this are that consistency really matters. And it matters even if you're trying to only share information among your uh, in, among yourselves in your institution, but it really matters when you're trying to share it with other museums or across the nation. As we move forward, I think um, I would certainly suggest that we are only going to become more cooperative and more sharing um, as institutions, and hopefully this will help us um, do better projects and save money, and nomenclature is a tool to get, help get us there. And it also at your own institution, you can create groups to manage data. So you can, you can do different sorts and searches if your data is in nomenclature that are very, very difficult to do if you don't have a consistent naming terminology. So it's useful for yourself at home, in your home institution. It's useful if you're trying to talk to other folks other places. So why should you use 3.0 as opposed to 2.0 or the 1978 Red Book? Um, we even proved it. So we added over 5,000 new terms, um, and we went up from uh, 10,000 terms in nomenclature 2.0, the revised nomenclature, up to uh, 15,500 terms in the new one. So really doubled it. We really added a third of the size. Um, we added all kinds of really cool things that weren't there that make a lot of sense. Um, if you use nomenclature 2.0, a lot of modern artifacts just aren't there. So if you've got 20th century or 21st century things in your collection, in the revised nomenclature, you can't find them. All of these are new terms. So we've got cap, comma, baseball, card, comma, business, filter, comma, coffee, and game, comma, handheld electronic for our Game Boy. None of those were there. Um, so that was one of the things that our audience said is we need 21st century terms. We need the modern stuff. Um, the, for me, personally, uh, the biggest reason that you should use nomenclature 3.0 is that it's really flexible. Um, it doesn't include all the terms that are possible. Nothing can, but it makes it easy um, to add specialized local terms for yourself. Or if you're a museum that collects, for example, Judaica, and you have an entire list of stuff you want to create that is how you're going to classify your Judaica collection or your dentist tools or whatever, you can do that in Nomenclature 3.0 in a very easy way. And the other really cool one for those of us who are not experts in everything and none of us are is Nomenclature 3.0 does not require you to be an expert curator. So you have different levels that you can now add. So if you're like me and you know nothing about shoes, um, you can say, this is a shoe. Okay, that, that, and, and that is as good as you can do. You've got it classified. Hooray, you did it. Okay, but if you've got the knowledge, you can go through a whole list of subterms and get more and more specific. And so if you've got the shoe part and somebody comes in, a researcher comes in, you, you get a volunteer who knows about a collection, they can classify at a deeper level and change that, but you still have it classified at least in the shoe category. So it doesn't require this expertise to know that that's a Windsor chair or a sideback chair or whatever. You can just call it a chair. So I think that that's a, a real advantage for 3.0. So if you can use, if you're using two, you can see that we've added a whole bunch more um, different terms that you could do. In the old one, you could do category classification, subclassification, object term, and now you can do primary object term, secondary object term, tertiary object term. If you've got terms that apply multiple things to one artifact, you can, you can add those in. Um, and then 
this was something that really came out of our – we did focus groups. We did surveys. We did all kinds of things to try to figure out what people wanted. One of the things that really annoys folks about 2.0 is it says that something is, is this or it's that. It's not an and. It, c- it couldn't be an and. In 3.0, it can be and. So if you've got this thing on the left, it's a T-shirt, right? But it's a souvenir T-shirt from Branson. So if you're cataloging that, is it a souvenir because it's got a catalog thing for souvenir, or is it a T-shirt? It's, it's both a souvenir and a T-shirt. Nomenclature 3.0 allows you to put in both souvenir and T-shirt. So when you're searching for souvenirs, that's going to come up. You're searching for T-shirts, that's going to come up. So you can get them both. And the same thing on the, thing on the right is a paperweight, but it's also a commemorative from the anniversary of the Statue of Liberty. So you can pull both of those terms up. So, But if you'd put in... But if you're really looking for commemorative items, but somebody classified that as a paperweight in 2.0, you wouldn't get it if you're trying to do an exhibit about commemoration. So you can do, we recognize that things cross categories. It can be, you know, something can be functional, um, but it can also be, have a religious function or a ceremonial function. You can do those in 3.0. All right. And my last plug for why you should be using 3.0 is that, um, that nomenclature is something that ASLH is strongly committed to. It's a lot of support. They really helped finance this entire project and, 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 and spearheaded it. Um, they've helped us create an online community where there are updates. If you want to get on to the uh, ASLH webpage, you will find the link to the Nomenclature 3.0 community. Uh, there are people that answer questions on there. So if you don't know, if there's a term that's not there or you don't know which term, you can post your query to that, and somebody from the committee will respond to you and tell you, well, people have approached it this way, people have approached it that way. I'd recommend you try this. So there's that support there. And then the last reason is that 3.0, we've worked really hard to contact different software companies, databases, and to get them to incorporate 3.0 into those systems so they're preloaded for you. So you can do that. So, for example, I use PassPerfect um, at my institution. If you get the um, PassPerfect 5, you can um, click one box and you can move to the um, PassPerfect 3.0, move your records over. Uh, you're going to have to do some, some changes and some switches. They're always... Um, you know, things to do with data migration, but it's really easy to do that, and you can get all this new cool functionality uh, with the click of a switch. Um, so those are my reasons um, about, you know, what nomenclature is and also why you should use it. And I'm going to turn it over to Sarah to talk to you about some of the real specific stuff about how to get it done. Thanks. I'm going to be covering how to use nomenclature 3.0 for museum cataloging. We're going to talk about um, the object term hierarchies, the alphabetical index. Oh, am I not? Well, I'm short. I can just talk loud. (laughs) Yeah, that helps. I usually don't use a mic. Okay, should I just start over? So I'm going to talk about how to use the big green book. We're going to talk about using the object term hierarchies as well as the alphabetical index. Then I'm going to move on to talk about managing objects where function is unknown, adding terms to your own individual institutional lexicons, talk about cross-indexing, and then just some questions that tend to come up while you're trying to catalog using nomenclature 3.0. Nomenclature 3.0 for museum cataloging is divided into three parts. The first being the introduction. The revised introduction discusses many of the new conventions and features associated with 3.0, and it also includes examples that may be helpful when cataloging. Following the introduction is the object term hierarchy and then the alphabetical index of object terms. The second component of nomenclature 3.0, the big green book, is the object term hierarchies. You're going to find these on the front cover and as well as the back inside cover. So to use the object term hierarchy to find a term that best describes the function of your object, first determine which of the broad categories best relates to an object's function. The 10 categories are listed on the front and back inside covers of the book. Once an appropriate category has been identified, select which classification or subclassification best describes your object's function. 
Next, turn to the page for the classification or subclassification and read the definition to confirm that the definition describes the function of the object you're trying to find a name for. For this example, we turn to the page for Category 1, which is Built Environment Artifacts and the Classification Building Components. We then search the category Built Environment Artifacts for the subclassification Other Structures. After reading the definition, definition for other structures, we can determine that this is the right classification, and we search for an appropriate object name from the provided terms in the list. So for this example, we find the term tent. If we don't know anything more specific about the function of this particular tent, then you're going to use the object name tent when class, um, cataloging this artifact. Now, if you know that this tent was used for camping, you're going to select the term tent, comma, camping as the object name because this term then best describes the function of the object. But this is based just on what you know. So like in the shoe example, if all you know is it was, it was a tent and you don't know any more specific of a function, tent is a perfectly acceptable object name for this piece. The third part of the book is the alphabetical index of object terms. If you have a good idea of what the function and name of your object should be, this is the fastest way to confirm that object name. And then you're going to want to note that we did keep the inverted order of terms. So say you're looking for the term knife, comma, kitchen. You're going to find it in the alphabetical index, and then what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to turn to the page listed and read the description just to make sure that that is the term that best describes the function of the object you're cataloging. So in this instance, the kitchen knife. If the exact term you're looking for isn't found, what you can do is you can look at broader or narrower terms and other object names grouped in the appropriate part of the hierarchy to determine the appropriate term. Um, there's generally going to be a less specific substitution that you can use. So for this example, you can't find the term knife, comma, belt. You might be able to substitute the term knife, comma, hunting. And then what you could do is you could include knife, comma, belt in a subject or a title field when you're cataloging. So what do you do if you don't know what the object function is? When an object name is unknown, but you do know the function, you can assign a broad classification as the object name. When an object can't be identified, select the term artifact, comma, unidentified from category 10, unclassifiable artifacts, and that can serve as your object name until you've determined the function of this object. So it's still going to be classified. Museums may sometimes choose to add terms to their lexicon and organize them within the hierarchy of nomenclature 3.0. To do this, review the existing classifications and determine where the specialist term fits within the hierarchy of 3.0. Determine if there are broader terms for the specialist term that you might be able to put them under. It might also be useful to check with other institutions to see how they have named similar artifacts for consistency. If you do add a term to your lexicon, we ask that you let ASLH nomenclature committee members know so that we can review your changes and your adaptations and take them on as needed. There's going to be more editions of this. When available, you should use standardized object names and place regional or ethnic terms, your local terms, in an alternate field when you're cataloging. Now this again is just for consistency among the field. You may also add regional or ethnic terms as non-preferred terms for pre-existing nomenclature terms. Sometimes you will need to add a regional or ethnic term, then you can add it within the pre-existing hierarchy. Sometimes you will determine that you must add an object name to your lexicon. When adding terms, add them to the existing structure of nomenclature 3.0, and this will add consistency to your cataloging because it will still be within that hierarchy. And this would be another situation where you might just want to go on to the ASLH Nomenclature Committee website and just let us know that you're using this term.
Museum nomenclature was developed to deal with human-made objects. However, there are some basic terms that can be useful in naming natural history collections. You may also choose to use an appropriate scientific classification system when naming these types of collections. And then you're going to, again, want to try to organize those terms under the hierarchy structure of 3.0. Some of the more generalized terms that are included that you could choose to use are going to be specimen, animal, specimen, plant, or geospecimen. And then if you want to add a more specific term, try to add those specific terms, maybe as a secondary object name or a tertiary object name, under these more broad terms. As nomenclature depends on function, it can also often be difficult to use it for the naming of archaeological collections. There are terms in Category 10 that can be useful in naming these types of artifacts, such as fragment, scrap, and shirt. If you do know the function of the object, you can try assigning it a more contemporary term that describes the function and then include the historically accurate term in an alternate field, a search field, a title field, something like that. Adding terms for raw materials. You can classify raw materials along with either the tools and equipment or T&E category that would most probably be used in transforming the material into a finished product or produce them as a finished product. Nomenclature also includes certain material genre terms, such as material, comma, animal. In many cases, use the term sample, comma, material and enter the name of the actual material itself in a separate field. Nomenclature 3.0 can also be used to describe archival collections. For collections cataloged as a grouping, such as a grouping of photographs or a linear foot of documents, you may need to add terms such as lot or collection. You may also be able to use the terms legal documents, government records, documentary artifacts, or other documents when describing these types of collections. But remember, nomenclature is intended to be flexible, so Do what works for your institution to describe these types of collections. 3.0 encourages the use of multiple terms being assigned to an object that serves multiple functions. This makes the objects more accessible, and you get a better idea of what the specific functions were. When objects have more than one function, use more than one object name. If doing so will improve cross-referencing, and it will make the object more searchable. For example, this picture postcard. You could name it postcard. You could name it print, comma, photomechanical. Correspondence in stamp, comma, postage. So all of these terms are going to link to this one object. So you can see that adding multiple object names can be really useful for searching. In the notes section of the book, there are suggestions for additional object names and instances where objects commonly serve multiple functions. So you'll see, may also use glass, wine from drinking vessels for glass, toasting. So right in the book, it will tell you, "Mm, this is probably also used for this, so you might want to consider adding that as a second object name. When cataloging object sets, use terms that describe a grouping of objects with similar functions, such as set or service. Or you may choose to create one catalog record for the set as a whole grouping, and then also add a unique catalog record for each item within the set. When cataloging object components, nomenclature includes terms for some objects that are parts of other objects. However, it is not possible to include all possible part names for every possible object. Museums just need to find a way to determine how they want to name these types of parts and then be consistent in your naming. Some options are to name the component the same as the object as a whole, or you can add specific terms for your components and organize them under the same structure as the entire object.
added part terms should be organized under an appropriate accessories subclassification and fragment from category 10. This is a big one. Um, you only want to use that for pieces that have broken off or torn off from other artifacts and do not have distinctive terms to describe them. If the identity of the whole object is known, it can then be entered in a subject field for searching. Cataloging toys and other types of models can be a little tricky because the miniature representations of the objects that they're representing um, do not serve the same function as the objects they're depicting. If there is no term for the specific toy or model you are looking for, you can create compound terms or allow a more generic term, such as toy, to serve as the object name and include more specific terms in alternate search fields. You can see some examples, ship comma model, organized under model, toy comma cook stove, so cook stove comma toy under toy if you really want the more specific term. Otherwise, the term toy is an acceptable object name. It describes the function of the piece, and then in other search fields, you would add the real specific type of toy that it is. Containers can be named by form, such as bottle or jar, or they can be named based on function, such as a pillbox. When naming product packages, use the term package, comma, product, as well as a generic term from the containers classification to describe the form of the object. This cross-indexes the product package as both a container and a merchandising artifact. You might want to note the contents of the object in a separate field if the contents is known and relevant. For products containing consumables, you should avoid using terms like bottle, comma, easy squirt jelly. The correct term should be package, comma, product, and if you want to include easy squirt jelly, put it in a subject or another search field. For specialized containers, classify them with the objects for which they were designed. For example, a guitar case should be classified under musical tools and equipment in the subclassification of musical accessories. And then the t guitar is still going to be classified in musical instruments. Containers for objects. Not all specialized containers are included, and catalogers may need to add terms consisting of a generic container term. So is it a case or is it a bottle? It's the nomenclature term for which the object is designed. For example, case, comma, clarinet. Such a term should be organized under a broader nomenclature term, such as case, comma, musical instrument, or just use the broader nomenclature term case, comma, musical instrument. So... Just to kind of summarize, I think you're getting the idea. If you need to add a term, please put it in the structure that already exists. But remember, it is flexible. If you need to add terms, you should do it. You've got to do what's going to make sense for your institution so that you can access this material. I'm going to turn it over to Paul, and he's going to talk about um, adapt adapting nomenclature 3.0. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, your strategy for adopting nomenclature 3.0 will depend on a number of factors, such as the size of your collection, the resources you might have at hand for uh, cataloging those collections, whether or not you use a previous version of nomenclature, and what type of collection software system you use if you use one. Fortunately, Nomenclature 3.0 is built into many collections management software systems, and you see those listed here. Monisys has it, Zetcom North America has it, PassPerfect has it, Rediscovery has it, Software Technology does, Vernon CMS, and Gallery Systems. With Gallery Systems products, Nomenclature 3.0 is not part of the standard package, but you can add it on request. Sydney Plus which produces Argus, is currently working on incorporating Nomenclature 3.0 into its software. This is a screenshot of how Nomenclature 3.0 hierarchy looks in the Argus lexicon table, much the way it looks in the book, where you uh, have an outline with the broader terms to the left and narrower terms indented to the right. 
uh, nomenclature term that appears in an object name field in an object record is linked behind the scenes to this lexicon table. In this type of software, an object record contains only the most specific nomenclature term appropriate for the object, and I wish I had a pointer comma laser. Uh, <laughs> Um, but as you can see here, there's the term banner under object name. And it's linked to all the broader terms within the uh, nomenclature hierarchy that you see in the lexicon table to the left. That's going on behind the scenes. So if I searched the object table, that object name field, for documentary artifacts, for instance, it will yield this in a search, even though I haven't put the term documentary artifacts in the field object. In this type of software, each nomenclature term in the lexicon has its own separate database record uh, in the lexicon table, much the same way as a single object might have its own object record in an object table. PassPerfect, on the other hand, has a different model. Here's a glimpse at how the nomenclature 3.0 hierarchy looks in uh, PassPerfect 5.0 when you enter the uh, uh, data into the object name field of an object record. It's a series of columns with the broadest level at the left and then moving toward the narrowest at the right. And when you select a row of the table that corresponds with the object that you have, uh, then what happens is, and this is a different term, uh, all of the broader terms appear in different fields in your object record. This is really just my way of telling you that each software system handles nomenclature in its own way, and becoming familiar with how your software or database works will help you to develop a strategy for adopting nomenclature for the first time or for converting data from a previous edition of nomenclature to nomenclature 3.0. Now, if you've migrated or upgraded your data into a software system that includes nomenclature 3.0, but you've never used any previous edition of nomenclature, then talk to your vendor. You may discover that while you can use nomenclature from here on out, all your legacy terms will need to be reviewed and substituted with appropriate nomenclature terms that are in the system. Uh, first step in doing that would be to convert local object names to terms found in nomenclature 3.0. This may be the most challenging step, and there are various strategies that may be taken, again, depending on the size of your collection, uh, the quality of existing data, and the resources at your disposal. One strategy is to assume that the cataloging that you have is good. Uh, then translate the existing terms you have into nomenclature 3.0 terms and kind of maybe err on the side of generality. And then on your next inventory project or your next imaging project, you can tweak the terminology to be more accurate or more specific, depending on your visual inspection of the objects themselves and or research that you do in the collections files. Secondly, you'll want to move any descriptive information that has been intermixed with object names to more appropriate data fields. For example, you might have an object described as a glass vase in an object field name, well, you want to keep vase, that's a nomenclature 3.0 term, and then record the term glass in a materials field. Or you might have an item described in an object name as Chippendale chair. Keep chair, move Chippendale to another field. Likewise, Civil War cannon. Keep cannon, move Civil War to a subject field. And then relate the newly assigned object terms to their respective categories in nomenclature 3.0. Your software should automatically classify your objects for you if nomenclature 3.0 is built into the system. But if you decide to keep any of your legacy terms that aren't official in the book, you'll need to figure out where in the nomenclature hierarchy they should go. But what if you've been using nomenclature and want to upgrade to 3.0? If your software vendor supported revised nomenclature, I have good news. Most of your revised nomenclature terms should automatically convert to 3.0, even if they've been reorganized in the new 3.0 hierarchy. There are some possible exceptions, however. Be aware some terms in revised were deleted, such as box, comma, boot blacking. If revised nomenclature is built into your software, 
and you've used this term, in a data conversion, vendors will move any deleted terms from revised to a separate unorganized portion of your lexicon so that you can review them yourselves and determine whether you want to use an appropriate nomenclature 3.0 term and update your object records accordingly, or you want to keep the term and then figure out where to organize it in the new 3.0 hierarchy. Be aware, some deleted terms uh, were generic terms that now require more specificity to be properly classified because we have all those new subclasses um, in 3.0. So a generic bowl term or a generic spoon term you won't actually find in here. Uh, now, if you lack the resources to recatalog your entire collection of, to differentiate drinking bowls from eating bowls from serving bowls, you might choose to reorganize your generic object terms under a classification. For instance, you might take the term bowl, just bowl, and put it directly under food service T&E because you know that whether it was a drinking bowl, an eating bowl, serving bowl, it deals with food service. Um, in this case, the object term that you added will actually be on the same hierarchical level as subclassification terms, not object terms, but that's really okay. <clears throat> be aware, some terms change spelling or punctuation. Bag, comma, duffel, L-E, is now bag, comma, duffel, E-L. Bottle, comma, hot, hyphen, water is now bottle, comma, hot, water with no hyphen. Some terms added modifiers to make them unique. And that's another thing that's uh, different about 3.0 is that every preferred term in here is unique. Um, so, for instance, you had pipes. You had different kinds of pipes and revised. Uh, it could mean very different things. So the pipe under personal gear and revised is now pipe, comma, smoking. Makes it more obvious. Some terms change from preferred to non-preferred status and vice versa. So in revised, you had the term amplifier, comma, audio, and now the preferred term is amplifier, comma, sound, but you'll still find amplifier, comma, audio as a non-preferred term in the alphabetical index in the back of the book. In a data conversion, vendors may do one of two things to revise nomenclature terms that are different in 3.0 because of spelling, punctuation, modification, or change in preferred status. Vendors might move these terms to a separate unorganized portion of your lexicon so that you yourself can review them and change the records as needed. It's kind of a pain. Um, or vendors will automatically update these terms and globally change the data in all object records that use these terms. Now, the nomenclature committee has supplied all the vendors with a list of the changes between revised and 3.0. So theoretically, they do have all the information they need to do to do those automatic updates for you. And if they don't, you might want to ask about it. Okay, be aware, some terms in revised nomenclature were exact homonyms, as I mentioned earlier. And if conversion may not recognize which of those terms you meant to use. So in revised nomenclature, you had pillbox on the left under personal gear. And you had pillbox on the right under headwear. Now in nomenclature 3.0, we still have pillbox under personal carrying and storage gear. And now we have hat, comma, pillbox under headwear. Again, though, your vendor should know that the old-term pillbox under headwear is now hat, comma, pillbox, and hopefully your records are updated automatically. Be sure your pillbox wasn't, pillbox hat wasn't changed to a pillbox. And be aware, some terms move from one category or classification to another for a better fit. So lawnmower was moved from agricultural T&E to maintenance T&E. And be aware, many terms were reorganized in the hierarchy simply because there are more hierarchical levels. Uh, so there are new subclassifications. And then just the, the static one-level object term is now three different hierarchical levels, primary, secondary, and tertiary. So uh, before in revised, chair, comma, rocking was under furniture. But now chair, comma, rocking is under chair, which is under seating furniture, which is under furniture. 
If revised nomenclature is built into your software in a data conversion, vendors should automatically reorganize all your revised nomenclature terms into the new 3.0 hierarchy, and data in your object records should automatically be updated. If your software uses a different field in an object record for each hierarchical level, like PassPerfect does, a data migration from revised to 3.0 would look like this. Under your category field, furnishings, that wouldn't change. Under your classification field, furniture, that wouldn't change. However, under object term field, chair comma rocking will be moved automatically into secondary object term field. And then automatically, the term chair will magically appear in the primary object term field, and seating furniture will appear in your subclassification field. If your software uses a linked lexicon table, like Argus that I showed you previously, that establishes the hierarchical relationships of terms behind the scenes, a data migration would look like this in your object record. No difference. But your hierarchical lexicon will look different. Before, you've got three levels, furnishings, furniture, and chair, comma, rocking. Now you've got five levels, furnishings, furniture, seating furniture, chair, chair, comma, rocking. Getting narrower, more specific as you move along to the right. So after an automatic conversion, then you'll still need to refine your pre-existing data. First, review your local terms to see if they are now included in nomenclature 3.0, because for all you know, you might have had a local term uh, that was in there, um, and it's been added. Uh, great news. Uh, if not, you'll want to decide where to organize them in the new structure. For example, you might have a souvenir scarf that you previously cataloged using a local term, scarf comma souvenir. But now you'd find, uh, you'd find all the souvenir scarves in your database and replace them, that's scarf comma souvenir local term, 3.0 terms, scarf and souvenir. And as was previously mentioned, um, you know, we can call one singular object multiple things. PassPerfect allows you to do that. It gives you up to three object names to assign to a single object and then it will automatically classify each of those terms in the broader uh, fields. Other software systems, such as Argus, allow you to enter multiple terms in a single field with a delimiter like a vertical bar or a semicolon. As you see here, we've got scarf and that delimiter of a vertical bar and souvenir. Okay, two, review revised nomenclature terms you've used to determine if a better or more specific term from nomenclature 3.0 might now apply. For example, you might have a Hoosier cabinet that you previously cataloged using the revised nomenclature term cabinet comma kitchen because there was no specific term cabinet comma Hoosier, but now there is. So you might want to change your data. Admittedly, this step might not be a high priority uh, in the general scheme of data conversion, but it's something that you can do later on. If your museum is not using software that incorporates 3.0 and you are doing the upgrade manually, you'll need to look up every term you've used and find out how it is handled in 3.0 and update the term in its hierarchical position accordingly. Uh, some terms may have changed spellings, as I mentioned, or may have been removed, and many will simply have been moved within the hierarchy. Uh, you'll also need to review all your local terms, just like uh, the other examples uh, that you've added to your lexicon to determine if they're covered in 3.0, and if they're not, determine how to best organize them. This will be a substantial amount of work, depending on the number of items you have cataloged. You'll want to assess the work required and make sure it's feasible before deciding to upgrade. It may be better for you in this case uh, to consistently be using revised nomenclature than only being able to manage a portion of your collection in 3.0 and the rest is in revised. However, there is a long-term benefit in adopting 3.0, but you'll really need to assess any short-term inconveniences as you upgrade. Having an organized plan will be critical. Bear in mind, too, that there is help, as mentioned earlier, for people adopting and using nomenclature 3.0. The nomenclature community can be found at aaslhcommunity.org slash nomenclature.
You can use the site, as Trevor mentioned, uh, to share news, ask advice, submit your own proposals for additions and changes for future additions. Here's the main page for the website. Notice that there is a third tab over. There's an errata page that lists errors in the book. So if you have the book, you'll want to go to the website and then find what the errors are. There are about a dozen of them. And then pencil in your book uh, what those are. We put them in there purposely so that you'd use the website. The site has tutorials on how to use 3.0. A good deal of the content covered in this presentation can be found there. And if you're a PassPerfect user, we are adding a data conversion manual written specifically for you by our very own Sarah Capellish. That manual will walk you through the steps you should take as your data is migrated from revised nomenclature to nomenclature 3.0 in PassPerfect version 5. Here's the forum for uh, posting questions such as, how would you classify a university letter sweater? Or does anybody know what this object should be called? And here's the page that provides an opportunity for you to suggest additions and changes to nomenclature for future additions. The great thing about 3.0 is that there'll someday be a 3.1 or a 4.0. Nomenclature is a dynamic standard that is responsive to the needs of the profession. So, speaking of future editions, what's next? The Nomenclature Committee is working with ASLH, Altamira Press, software vendors, and nomenclature users to determine what's next. We're looking at formats. Should the next edition be a comprehensive book that includes the updates? Kind of an expensive proposition. Uh, should there be a supplementary update booklet that just has all the additions and changes and you would use that booklet in conjunction with the big green monster? Um, should this be an online resource? And should the entirety of nomenclature be in that online resource or just the updates? I'd like the entire thing to be online. I don't know about you. Um, and uh, we'll need to deal with update files for the software vendors so that we can send all the additions and changes to them so that they can do an automatic upgrade for you. And then there's the schedule. How should we base uh, the timing of new additions? Should it be calendar-based, so every three years or every five years or every 10 years? We don't want to wait another 20 years. Um, or should it be based on a critical mass of new terms and changes? So let's say, oh, whenever we have 200 new terms and changes, then we'll put out a new supplementary uh, edition, or 500, or whatever that magic number would be. So you can help us decide those things. Take the survey at surveymonkey.com slash s slash n3 hyphen zero updates. Okay, I'm finished my part. Uh, we are ready to take your questions. Oh, yeah, sorry. Too quick. I guess that was the first question. Everybody got it? Okay. Um, so if there are any questions, please ask, and then I will repeat and then hand it over to whoever would like to uh, answer the question. So, yes. Okay. So the comment was uh, she uses Rediscovery Proficio and was informed that Nomenclature 3.0 is not in there. And I've actually heard from the software vendor that it is. So I'd want to check again. Um, and afterwards, if you have a contact person that you've spoken to about that, let me know. Yes.
Um, I can take that one. It depends on how your software handles that. Does your software actually have a separate field for each of those steps? Because I'm, because I'm in Proficio right now, yeah. I just have category, subcategory, object. Okay. Um, but it does handle things in different fields as opposed to like the Argus thing where it's, okay. So in uh, a conversion, uh, a software system like that should do what PassPerfect did and introduce new fields for you for that, all, the, all the levels in the hierarchy. And if they don't, <laughs> pester them about it. But they should because they've already set up that model that every step in the hierarchy of the lexicon gets its own field. So you've got three fields in three fields in rediscovery, and you have to enter the data for each of the fields. Talk to the vendor. You shouldn't have to do that because behind the scenes, they should have set it up so that if you enter the most specific or narrowest, it will automatically populate. I don't think there's any reason why they can't do that. Yes. Okay, so the question I think is, can you do broad and narrow searches within Pass Perfect and get all of the things that you need? Is that is that the question? Okay, I'll let Sarah take that. The answer is kind of yes and no. Um, I'm pretty sure, though. Tell me if I'm wrong. I think um, you can do a keyword search and do a sweeping search, or if you go into the um, query for your four catalogs, you can put in that you want to search primary object name and secondary object name and classification and you can set it up so it will search all of it but it's not just going to automatically do it if you say look for the object name. So there is a button. Is it a button? Okay, so on the main menu, there's a research by lexicon button. Good. Yes. At, at what level does Pass Perfect decide what category it's automatically going to enter? Uh, yes. Okay, so um, I, I, I'm not a user of PassPerfect, but I think that uh, the answer has to do with looking up a term. And so if you know you've got a shoe but you don't know anything more specific, how do you do that? Is that kind of? Yeah. Oh, okay. So the the question is, if you enter a term that it is not recognized in the past perfect lexicon, then what happens? Okay. You can add a term that it doesn't recognize, and it's going to automatically put it in an unclassified need to classify category. Um, otherwise, if you have it set up, what it'll do is it'll flash a big bright yellow screen at you and say, sorry, this object is not in the lexicon. Do you want to use it anyway? And you can click, yeah, I want to use it. Or you can go in and you can search the lexicon um, for a more appropriate term. But if you do add it, what it's going to do is it's just going to put it in unclassified, and at some point you're going to have to go in and assign it to one of the um, hierarchies. Any other questions? And if you have more questions specific about Past Perfect, we do have a Past Perfect representative in the room who will be happy to take your questions on that. 
And uh, we'll certainly be here for a little while longer, too, if you want to come up and ask us questions. Um, thanks very much for attending this afternoon. I realize that late Friday afternoon is a bit challenging uh, at conferences, but uh, thanks so much. We appreciate your being here. And uh, be sure to visit the website and uh, engage in the dialogue and ask questions and help keep this thing alive and uh, so we can do future editions. Thank you. is kind of there, because I know they have a couple products, right? Well, visual was the old version. Yeah. Officio is the most recent updated version, which the the conversion to the second Really? I was on the phone and texted him. Well, you know, and the other thing, too, is I know they have another product that the National Park Service uses, and we do have a National Park Service rep on the nomenclature committee. So we're also getting information about rediscovery through her. See, and National Park Service, I think because they're a big federal contract, yeah. they get rediscovery's attention first. Oh, okay. That may, that may be it, though. Um, so I know that that's probably what's going on is they're taking care of that product and then, and then they're going <clears throat> okay and then they're applying it to to the rest of the, yeah. but I know I know it's in the works so. <clears throat> next spring okay um, I was so excited mm -hmm. to get the new version that I just jumped into using it. Yeah. But the yeah. problem is, I've been having to add terms from it to rediscovery because I'm having my catalog using it. Right. And then you've kind of been organizing it within the revised structure then. Oh, no. If, even if it's, like I said, with, with rediscovery, I have to enter the category. I enter yeah. the object individually. Oh, okay. So it's not like it's dumping those in. So if you had a new term in here, yeah. you're entering... Like serving vessels. Okay. So I, if there's a brand new serving vessel in here that wasn't in the old one, I enter the object name, but then I also enter serving vessels in. Oh. I mean, it's, um, I hmm. got quite the mess going on. Probably. Um, yeah, there'll be some things to watch out for then because uh, what they should be doing in a conversion is they then should have six, not three. Well, actually, they probably have three, right? Even though they had a subclass yeah. field, they kind of they made it a classification. Yeah. 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 Um, for like um, food service and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, what will happen is instead of three, you should now see six. And your data, um, and you have multiple valued fields, is that right? Yeah, you okay. can add multiple objects. Okay. Okay, so what should happen is then your object term should be migrated to the appropriate. Um, level, um, and then everything should fill in. However, you're still going to have that kind of serving vessels term in your old one, and that probably won't be part of the conversion. They might end up like just jettisoning that and putting it into an unorganized part, and then you kind of have to clean all that up. Um, but you know what? If um, I would ask them about what the conversion is going to be like and, and tell them what it should be like. Um, but I think they are going from the three to the six, uh -huh. and that you shouldn't have to be entering all of those other, like, serving vessels and whatnot. Their conversion, when it's ready, should do that automatically for you. So yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So and and you know if you're not getting that the answer you want to hear, press them on it because I don't think there's any reason technically they can't do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've got a model pass perfect, did that same thing. I mean, they automatically. Um, so, yeah. Well, thank you. Sure, sure. 
Hello, Jack. Hello, how are you? Good. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I got a museum merger. A museum merger? Yes. Okay. On Jan Jan January 1st, I got oh, gosh. one museum on Past Perfect 4 using okay. two. Yes, okay. I got one museum under uh, Past Perfect three. 3, probably. Past Perfect 5, yeah. And no... no or, oh, 3, previous to 4, even. Yes. Oh, gosh. And then no real use of nomenclature. Okay. Okay. And so... I can merge the databases, all right. All right. Because I'll have to upgrade the one and do that. Right. Too, but that's right, no right. big deal. Yep. So I can merge them, but I did not. So here's the problem. So if we go in, they've got tons of objects not entered. Okay. Tons. Yes, okay. So, so I, and I didn't want to go to five. Okay. On the merger, because I got enough problems without learning an, right. an updated right. version of a program. So it, it looks like I'm going to have to go take the other museum stuff, bring it all, all up, up to four, up to uh, past up perfect to two, four, up, yeah, up yeah. to four, and right. up to and two, up to and then two. turn around and merge. To, I mean, it seems to me like I, I don't know what. So, doing. so what did they do? Thank you um, for the 3.0, if that's what the version yeah. is. What kind of data were they entering in the object name field? Well, there's a lot of it not entered. Okay, just, just not even in there. Yeah. Um, so they have maybe a very small portion of their collection in the system at all. Yes. So you'd have um, – so for those few things that they did enter in the they're system, they're not, though, a big, they're not a big deal. No. Okay. The so, problem is, is all the stuff – So Okay, so you've converted over. Um, let's say, you know, you've converted that stuff up to four. four. So you, everything is in four and everything's in revised. Okay. That's done. That's done. So you have the option. What you can do is then, once you've done that, you can take the step and go to five, and that, or go to five, and then upgrade to this because the majority of the stuff from the other museum hasn't even been done yet. You could, you have the option of starting with a clean slate and not worrying about so many terms being in a data conversion. Except you might, you might choose to do that. Um, but you understand why? Right. Why it wasn't in my right. Number one list to do. <laughs> right, right. Um, otherwise, you're going to have to take it in stages. And basically, you're going to be in four. You're going to have to use revise because that's your only option there and kind of plug along. Um, knowing that, you know, as long as you're using revised terms, there will be kind of a solution for you. Um, when you eventually get to the next step of going to 5.0 uh, using 3.0, um, all of those terms, as I pointed out, should convert except for the things that might have spelling changes or punctuation changes, things like that. But you're already aware in advance that that might be an issue, and you can handle that uh, when the time comes. Um, and, you know, so, you know, there isn't necessarily any big rush to do that. I mean, one step at a time is yeah. certainly, you know, a good strategy to use because resources may be limited, et cetera, et cetera, and oh, yeah. taking it all on at once yeah. can be overwhelming. Um, but I think you'd want to sort of keep in the back of your mind that kind of a strategy is saying, okay, by this date, I want all the stuff to be in one database, and I want it to be in four, and we're going to be using revised, and then maybe at some target date in the future, you know, probably by then we'll be ready, we'll get past perfect to do that data conversion, we'll spend a certain amount of time kind of cleaning up that data, and then the stuff we haven't cataloged yet, then we'll just start using the current version and go at, go at it that way. You know, we might be better off doing the merger, not entering any data <laughs> uh -huh. until but we've been for a year. It's not mm -hmm. going to hurt it. Yeah. It's not going to be any worse than it right. was. Right. Or if we do, or, we enter the new stuff, but not the old stuff. You enter the new stuff, right. You enter the new stuff, not the old stuff. The stuff that you're converting, the few objects that might be in the other museum that has been done, what you might want to do is just check that data, make sure against, it's up to the standard to revised nomenclature. So all of your stuff is at least consistent, and then do the upgrade. So at least you've taken care of that consistency issue and that local terminology issue and all that kind of stuff before you do the upgrade. And I had one comment. I told him, and I'm going to tell you, <laughs> that I saw on screen, and it was Quonset Hut. <laughs> Quonset Hut? Yeah. Oh, you like that one. No, I No, you don't? Don't oh, like that no, one. No. Don't like no, Quonset Hut. throughout all the West, we have all these Quonsets in the farm buildings. Uh-huh. 
huts. So okay, it's a, that's a so military a quonset, term from World War II. So what you want to do is you can either you can go online and you can say you know what either I'd like you to change yeah. the preferred term from hut comma quonset to quonset, or at least have Quonset as a non-preferred term that you can find in the cues yes. in the back of the book. Yeah. So when I'm looking it up, if, yeah. I, okay. if I don't even know Quonset Hut, but I know Quonset, I'm looking in the cues, and it's like, why don't they have it? It mustn't be in here. Well, that's well, what they're called, actually, yeah. Quonsets. They're, never, they're not called Quonset buildings. They're not called anything. Okay. And, and, they're just, Good. and they're literally Good. thousands of them. I can... From my house, I can see a dozen of them on farm. Okay, good. That's how many there now, were. That so it was is, the first is, steel is, building. Okay. And so in the 1950s, post-war, agriculture was kind of doing a little boom. Yeah, and, yeah. And, man, they just build them everywhere. Uh-huh. And, uh, so. Well, please go on there and make a suggestion. Okay. Because okay. I don't know that they exist anywhere else much now. Uh-huh. Unless they're in a museum setting. <laughs> right. I mean, but right. on farm sites, yeah. we have one in our farm site at the museum. Okay. But, but, uh, is it considered part of your collection or just kind of a well, yeah, part yeah, of the property? Part of okay, good. As it, and we also, our town has houses mm-hmm. that are being lived in. Oh, really? Yes, a community of them. Okay. Which is sort of interesting. Oh, that's interesting. It was a housing shortage <clears> deal. And they're not very big, and, they're, and they're, they have a straight side on one side. Mm-hmm. They're about a, what you would call a three-quarter arch. Yeah, right. And uh, oh, they're, they're, interesting. they're a fascinating building. It's a whole story huh. itself. But. Huh. Well, one of the areas that's really beefed up in 3.0 that's not um, so. in revised is that whole built environment artifacts with just a lot more terms so for architecture. So agriculture? <laughs> agriculture, well, I can we, tell we you. We've used to do a lot. We've done a lot I of can, I can tell you, you know, what we've done in agriculture, I'll show you is we divided things, uh, let's see, cultivation equipment, feed processing equipment, harvesting equipment, planting equipment, tending equipment. So now, you know, instead of having this one big category, you kind of, you know, get like things functionally together. Yeah. That's better. So so that's, yeah. And the animal thing is animal care, breeding. So, you know, they'd have everything from you know, pet supplies to breeding equipment and whatnot in one big thing, and they're all just kind of yeah. alphabetically listed. <laughs> but, you know, we're trying – what this does is it introduces all those subclasses, so we get the more like things closer together. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank good, you for coming. Good. Thank you. All right. <clears throat>